your Bible or an electronic device you're looking at the passage with us. We'll be at the end of Luke 16 this morning, finishing this chapter. Um, we've been working our way through Luke now for almost a year, not quite, and just kind of chapter by chapter. And the last couple weeks in Luke have been um, difficult. Um, Luke 15, right, we had these three familiar uh, parables, the parable of the lost son, the, the parable of the lost coin, and the lost sheep. And then beginning in, in Luke 16, we just kind of have a, a difficult passage um, regarding money, and then last week regarding Jesus' authority. And really what Luke 16 is, is doing and what Jesus is teaching is He's saying, hey, you can't serve God and me. Um, he's reminding us of, of His authority. And then He's also showing us that there are kingdom values, right? And those kingdom values um, differ from the world's values, right? And we have to live in one value system or the other. We cannot navigate them both for very long because, because they depart from one another. And so we're going to pick up this morning at the end of Luke 16. Um, and we have a second, second parable that will end this chapter. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with whatever fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And although we typically read a parable all the way through, we're going to stop there for just, just a moment. The, the contrast that's, that's happening here that Jesus is, is going to show us in this story is, is stark, and it's, it's sharp. Right? We see this wealthy individual right, wearing purple and fine linen. The, the fact that he would have purple was it very expensive. You, you, it's still associated with royalty. The dye would have come from these little snails. Right? It's something that would have been tedious and consuming. And so for him to be wearing purple is just, again, a, a show of wealth. And then underneath that, he had fine linen, which is basically talking about the nicest, whitest clothing that could have been. Again, a lot of labor-intense um, situations in order to, to gain that. And so he's basically wearing opulence on top of opulence. Right? It's like, not only is my, is my purple to show you I'm wealthy, but I've also got the nicest undergarments. Right? And, and so he's showing wealth upon wealth. And if you remember in Luke 15... When the prodigal son comes back, right, the, the, the father who is wealthy, right, slaughters an animal so they can have a feast. This was an unusual circumstance because the older son is like, where's, like, I haven't even had a smaller animal uh, sacrificed on my behalf. Like, what is, what's going on here? And so the idea that, that you would feast daily is, is insane, right? Like it, it's wealth upon wealth. And, and we notice what it says. He feasted sumptuously every day. Not regularly, not often, daily. I mean, he is showing how wealthy this gentleman is. And at his gate, at his doorstep, there's a gentleman on the other end of the spectrum named Lazarus, poor. He's laid there, meaning he's not, like, he's not bringing himself there every day um, to beg because this is like high traffic area. He is being brought there and left there. So some level of, of, of crippled um, disability, right, going on here. Um, he's not a leper, 
because he will not be able to be in public begging, but he's got sores covering his body. And as you, it says his dogs came and licked his sores, if, if, even though this is a disgusting image, right? If you're thinking like puppies, like something sweet, that's like at least kind, that's not what's happening here. This is more like scavenger dogs, right? Hoping that maybe, right, if he dies, they can even eat him, right? I mean, this is not a, a pretty picture. As he's laying there outside of opulence, hoping for scraps off the table to eat. You can imagine the shame, right? Being laid there, the shame of, of staying there, of seeing folks ignore you and pass by you. Um, and so where we have one gentleman in comfort and in ease with nothing right going wrong, the other with shame, a lack of humanity, a lack of dignity. Um, just to be clear, this is not Lazarus um, that Jesus resurrects um, from the dead. Lazarus was a super common name. Um, and so, right, if, if you were to imagine this moment in today's society, right, we would have this wealthy person, very likely, um, if we borrow some of Dan's language, saying hashtag blessed, right? As he shows his clothing, as he shows his meals, as he shows his home. And I'm blessed. Look at what God's done for me. The parable continues. Pick up in verse 22. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Folks, this is a shocking, dramatic reversal. It is a, a traumatic parable. It's a little bit unique of a parable, it's, it's giving um, kind of a, a negative example not to follow. It, it's showing um, like not a literal scene, but a realistic scene as Jesus is teaching here. And before we get into the parable a little more, I want to give just a quick note because there's several phrases in here that are not um, really familiar to us in Scripture with, with Hades um, and even with Abraham's bosom. There's a lot of thought and teaching that goes um, on in this. And so if this is something you want to have further conversation about, we're glad to do that. Um, but basically, here's what Scripture is, seems to be teaching prior to the, the resurrection of Jesus, that those who died went to kind of a, a holding place, right? Referred to as Sheol or Hades. And they were separated in two chambers, right? One that was for um, 
we see in Scripture, it says, I'm going to go and be I gather with the fathers, right? Like the righteous, those who have trusted and are waiting on God to do what He has promised to do. That they're putting their faith in the cross because they're trusting the character of God even if they didn't know it was going to be a cross. Right? Like they're saying, God is going to do something to redeem us. And so the righteous were there awaiting God's redemption. While those who are unrighteous, right, are where we see this rich man here separated. And so when Jesus is crucified and is buried, right, he, he basically storms the gates of Hades, right, to, to throw off the gates and to take the righteous from the Old Testament, right, to be with God. So it's why now we don't talk about this because we're post-ascension, um, post-resurrection, Right, that we see, like in 2 Corinthians 5 and in Philippians as well, that when, when we enter death, right, we are at the right hand. Right? We go and our faith is made sight. We are with God. And so and we see in places like Psalm 89, 48, where it talks about that, we're going to be, that the Old Testament saints are saying, we're going to be rescued from Sheol. We're going to be rescued from Hades. And that those that are now in the, in the unrighteous portion are awaiting their final judgment. Revelation 20, right? Where they will receive judgment once and for all and enter into hell forever. And so, the primary thing we need to take from this, because we can get tripped up going, okay, Abraham's bosom, Hades, all these things, all the nuance. Here's the thing that the parable is showing us. There is a chasm and there is separation and that the rich man does not want to be where he is, and that there has been a tremendous reversal, and he is now in absolute anguish. So here's where I want us to really kind of begin as we walk through this parable. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it's appointed unto each of us die once and then judgment. Right? We, we know this from human experience, that we don't get out of here alive, that death comes, and then Scripture tells us, and then there's a judgment. And what Jesus is showing us and teaching us in this parable is that post-death, there is no opportunity to repent. Repentance happens while we're breathing on this side of death. Right, and so this passage becomes a warning to us. Right, Jesus has said in Luke 13, 5, right, repent, right, all of us, repent, or you will likewise perish, right, dying without hope, dying separated. And what death ultimately is, is separation. Right? We were not meant for death, and so that's why it tears at us and pulls at us, because we are separated from those that we love and those that we care about, and it separates us from God Himself. That's why there's a great chasm here. Right? That, that He can see and realize, I can't get there. And so this is a reminder that we need to respond and repent now to what God is revealing and showing to us. This gentleman, this rich man, actually still counts and is hoping that his heritage right, is going to save him. Right, As he looks up out of anguish and torment, in verse 24 he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Right, he continues to say, like, listen, I'm one of you. Right? Like, I'm, I'm one of the sons of Abraham. Like, well, I don't know that I'm belonging here. You should help me. Right, but what has John the Baptist told us in Luke 3? That God can raise up sons from, from stumps and from the rocks, right? Like he doesn't like that our, our heritage in, in this world is not what's going to save us. 
that it's going to be repentance and trusting Jesus is what's going to save us, not in who our family was, not in how we handled um, our, our ethnic side. It's like it's going to be repentance and trust in Jesus. And the second thing, it's not just that there's no opportunity to repent post-death. And this passage is a warning. Right? It's a warning to the Pharisees. But church, we would be neglecting this passage if we don't believe it's a warning to us as well. Right? Remember the bridge passage we had last week? In verse 14, after Jesus has just said, you can't serve God and money, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things and they ridiculed Him. Right? Like, so Jesus is now saying, okay, you've heard me teach on money. You're a lover of it. You're ridiculing me over it. Here's another parable for you. It's a warning. And I think if, if we're not careful, we can begin to think, well, listen, I don't live in this sort of opulence. Right? Like, this is like Bill Gates, Elon Musk type wealth. Granted, yeah, we don't have that. But we are wealthy. We're a wealthy people in a free and wealthy nation. And so we have to consider the warning that Jesus is offering to the Pharisees is a warning to us as well. And initially what He is warning them is you can get what I'm teaching too late. You can miss it. Right? Because He's already told them in the first parable in, in Luke 16 was right. Like, I want you to live by the kingdom's values, the kingdom of God's values, not by the world's values. And then He, and then he says they ridiculed Him because of His teaching. And He's saying there is going to be a day where you're going to understand this. And it could be too late. It could be beyond the opportunity for repentance. That I want you to be mindful of the kingdom's values now. Look at verse 15 as well. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And he is showing them now this in this parable. That it's an abomination. Like that they were, this man would have been hashtag blessed. He would have been wanted, people would have wanted to have invited him to parties so that he would reciprocate. They would have seen his wealth and been envious of it. And he's like, but his wealth now, right, is seen as an abomination before the Lord because he is in torment and in anguish. He has understood it too late. Verse 9 in this chapter, in the parable earlier, he says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of of, of, of worldly wealth, unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Lazarus literally laid at his gate, and he did not use his wealth, which was significant, to help him at all. He's like, you didn't use this as a tool that I gave it to you to be to minister and to help, and to make friends, and to be generous. You hoarded it for yourself. And now he's in torment. He's in anguish. So consider the money thread that, that Luke has been weaving through the teachings of Jesus so far. We had in Luke 6, he starts off with just a woe and a warning to the wealthy. I'm going to read this to you again. And he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. We're seeing this played out in this parable. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did also to the prophets. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who weep now, for you shall mourn and weep. Like that Jesus just kind of came out of the gate saying there is a warning here that there is a deceitfulness to riches that we have to be aware of. And so then in Luke 12, he's telling the disciples, I want you to hold loosely to things. I want you to have fewer things, and I want you to be willing to give. I want you to hold loosely. Right? We saw that also in Luke 16. Also in Luke 12, we have the rich fool, right, who's building more and more barns and finding his hope and his security in those things. And, and right, what do we hear? Fool, you're going you're gonna to die tonight. Ecclesiastes reminds us that often right, wealth is left to the next generation who, who doesn't deserve it, who squanders it, that we don't always even get the benefit of it. And then in Luke 14, he's told, I want you to invite those who cannot pay you back to your feast and your banquets. Right In this culture where you would only invite those who could repay you, he's saying, I want you to invite those who cannot repay you. This thread has been going that Jesus is saying you're, you're involving and thinking about your money wrongly. And I'm, I'm getting your attention. I'm trying to get your attention. And we're going to hit this over and over and over again. Because what has happened? They've missed it. They've missed it. They're not caring for people. They're like literally in this story of Lazarus, they're not even giving him the scraps off the table. And what Abraham tells the rich man was, you should have known this. Scripture has been teaching this. This isn't a new thing that Jesus is doing. This has always been the characteristic and the heartbeat of God. And so I want to give you a couple examples from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 14. I'm going to go through them quickly, so if you want to write them down, because I'm, I'm going to move through. But it says um, in the end of Deuteronomy 14, 28, So at the end of every three years, bring out your tithes of your produce in the same year, lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion, this is the priestly group, um, or an inheritance with you, the sojourner, so the foreigner, the traveler, the fatherless, the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. If you go to chapter 15, verse 7, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, don't harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but open your hand to him, lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say the seventh year, the year of release is near and you look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. Right? That feels sufficient to say that we've, we've had this teaching. Right? But Deuteronomy hits it over and over again. In Deuteronomy 24, he says, Hey, the way you harvest your fields, you're going to leave some for those who are coming through that don't have enough. So you're, going to, you're not going to harvest all of it. In, in Deuteronomy 25, he says, when you have your weights and you're selling things, you're going to have fair scales and weights so that you're not taking advantage of others. I'm going to read 
also from Isaiah. This is Isaiah 10. Woe to those who decree iniquity, iniquitous decrees, and the writers who keep writing oppression, to turn aside the needy from justice, to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil, that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? So we've seen the positive and we see the negative here. I'm going to read a couple more from Isaiah. Isaiah 32. For the, spool, for the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity, to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, to deprive the thirsty of drink. Right? And then from Isaiah 58, verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noon day. And then from Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Proverbs 14 tells us that the one who oppresses the poor taunts, mocks his maker. Right? We see this in Malachi, we see it in Ezekiel, we see it in Amos, we see it in Micah. And then I'm going to read one final one. This is from Zechariah. I ran out of bookmark. Zechariah chapter 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Listen, this is a small smattering of the verses. And I, I wanted to read as many as I did to remind us to, to hear that this thought, this characteristic, this attribute of God is consistent throughout Scripture. There was no way that they were missing it. it anytime you were in Scripture, you're going to find and see this heart that God has, besides the fact that He had rescued them out from the hand of Pharaoh, right? That he has done this and been this. And so now Abraham is telling the rich man, he's like, you should have known. You should have known. Jesus' teaching is simply affirming this. And now imagine, who is it that the Pharisees are mad that Jesus is interacting with? Sinners, tax collectors, poor, sick, those who cannot offer or give anything back. And Jesus is merely saying, I am imaging the character of God. This is what you have all been called and tasked to, is what he's telling the religious leaders, and yet they have completely missed it. So what does that tell us? That wealth and riches blind and deceive us far more than we do. Because this gentleman would have believed that he was blessed of God when he was oppressing those around him. He would have thought God is pleased 
with me. He is shocked to find himself looking out at Abraham and Lazarus. By the way, he calls him by name. He knew him and hadn't, hadn't shown any humanity to him. Right? That he is calling out. He has been blinded and deceived. They make us feel secure. They make us prideful. They make us feel independent and unneeding of help. And Jesus is saying it is a warning and a risk for all of us. So he's connecting the first parable and the second parable to say, use your finances in regards to the kingdom as for hospitality, to make friends, as ministry, to pour it out on behalf of others. We will see in, in Acts, as Luke continues this, that there are wealthy folks who will use their money and steward it well. Right? This is not an indictment on wealth as a whole. It is an indictment on our heart and how we view our wealth, whether it owns us or whether we use it as the tool that it is meant to be. So there's no opportunity to repent post-death. It's a warning to the Pharisees and to ourselves. The third thing is this. It's a warning to assume that a sign is what you need to save. Listen. He tells him, he says, I have five brothers. Send Lazarus that they may warn them, verse 28, so they will avoid this place. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. It's like, I want them to see something like dramatic. And he said to them, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. What has Jesus already told us in Luke 11? That this is an adulterous and evil generation, right, who wants more signs. Like they're just there for the show. They have hard hearts. They're not convinced by the signs. So he's saying, Listen, if you have a if you have a heart that is agreeable and soft that wants the things of the Lord, then then signs minister to you, as does the word. But if you have a hard heart, these things aren't getting through. The word isn't sufficient, then signs aren't either going to be sufficient. If they're not satisfied with what God has revealed and taught, it's like even if it's resurrection. How do we know this? Because Jesus is resurrected. And there will still be those who will seek to destroy and condemn and to put to death the church. That Jesus' resurrection wasn't sufficient for everyone to, to bend a knee in that moment. And the last thing is this. I want you to notice that Lazarus' name. This is actually the only parable where someone's name, the only one, where someone gets a proper name. What, what's happening here? Like, why does Lazarus get named? He's reminding us that in his horrible circumstances, he was seen and known and loved by God. I guess he was being licked by dogs, as he was laying in shame outside someone's home begging, as his circumstances would have made him feel less than human, that God knew his name, that God saw him and cared for him. Church, this morning, as you consider your current circumstances, or the current circumstances of someone that you love deeply and desperately, 
those circumstances have an expiration date. They will not be our story forever. So even if life is hard, even if, 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 the, if the story of Lazarus is someone's story for their entire life, right? in this moment, this rich man would gladly have swapped places and said, I would have taken decades of poverty and shame in order to know Jesus. Because I'm going to have this torment and anguish forever. What does it tell us in verse 9? Remember, riches will fail. Not if they fail, when they fail. So that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. Our wealth and our riches and our joy in this life will eventually run out. So the question then is, what do we have for eternity? Is it honor or is it shame? Because those will far outweigh any honor or shame we have in this life. He has you. He sees you. And he cares for you. Lazarus' name actually means the one who God helps. Would we see this parable this morning for us? That we have a God who helps, who cares, who sees us. And so Jesus right, walks and lives the life that we were meant to live. He dies the death that we richly, clearly deserve. And then he beats our enemies, sin and Satan and death, he shatters the gates of, of Hades, right? To take us to the Father for all time. Lord, we are resting in Abraham's bosom against the fathers, right? We are trusting and feasting and banqueting together in the presence of God for all time. And so the circumstances of this life will fade away and pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is coming for us if we repent now and live by the values of the kingdom of God, not of this world. If you remember in Luke 6, verse 46, he says, Why do you say, Lord, Lord, and not obey me? Very likely this wealthy man, this rich man, said, Lord, Lord, and believed himself to be blessed, and he did not obey the clear teachings of God. He did not trust God. He trusted instead in his wealth, and his riches, and his power, instead of finding security in Jesus. Listen, how we use our wealth does not, does not save us. You cannot buy your way into heaven. But it reveals whether your heart belongs to you. And so what all of Luke 16 has been driving at this point Use it in regards to the kingdom's values, not the world's values. And honor me in it. Warning us. And it's going to be deceitful and it's going to make us want to hold on to it and to believe that that's what we need and we need more of it and it will bring us power and blessing and security. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It may damn you. So hold it loosely. See it as the tool that it is. And as you trust me, give loosely and freely because you belong to me and I'll care for you. He actually tells those who invite the poor and those who cannot reciprocate to their feast and banquets, what, remember what he says? You will be repaid forever. He's, he's begging us to live by the kingdom's values, not the world's values when it comes to our resources.
So this morning, listen, if you are holding fast to those things, would you hear the consistent plea from Jesus? See them right. Repent of that. And it may be something else this morning that the Spirit is saying, you're holding on to that instead of me. We would repent and turn to Jesus and in that find hope and satisfaction that nothing else in this life or this world will ever bring. Pray. Father Luke, 16 is uncomfortable. It presses on and pulls at things that we don't really want cut. God, would you give us hearts that want you more than anything this world has to offer? God, that we would long for more of you and find our peace and our satisfaction in you, not in our bank account, not in our circumstances, not in the approval of the world, but in You. That You are sufficient and enough. And there are joys eternal at Your right hand forevermore. So Father, if there are things that we are holding on to this morning, God, would You, would you give us the strength and the courage to open our hands, to lay them down and to repent, to follow your kingdom and your value. Father, thank you that you have broken the power of sin, the hold that it has over us, and that you fill us with your spirit, and you give us your church, and you give us your word to equip us to walk in the values of the kingdom. And Jesus, where we have failed, you have not. So we can trust that you have done what we needed. But we want you. We ask you to move and to speak to work among us for our good. Lord, and for your great, beautiful name.